once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. We are pleased to bring you the message from this week's worship service. For more information about this message, this week's teacher, and to watch or see other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. It's great to be with you again this morning. Uh, If you were with us last week, then you know that we are in the second week of a five-week series that we're calling Love Where You Live. And this is really what we call a theology of place. Theo God, ology, study of, study of God in the places that we are. And so it really kind of boils down to this. As As the video just showed you, you live somewhere and that place matters. And so what I want to do real real briefly before we jump into this week is I want to go back. I want to touch on a couple of things from last week, just a a couple of points of clarification that in conversations this week, some wonderful questions were asked. What what exactly did you guys mean? I say you guys because Bob's teaching in the hangar and Caleb's teaching in the the chapel and I'm in here. And as we've collaborated on this, just saying, what what did y'all mean by this specific thing? So let me give you a few thoughts as we think back on last week, if you didn't hear last week's message, then strongly encourage you to go back and listen to it online on our, on our website. You can link to the podcast there. Uh, but hopefully this will bring, bring some clarification and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap it all up and then move into this week. Uh, we talked last week about how God is redeeming all things. Specifically, as we think about this verse in Colossians 1.20 where it says that, that through Christ God is redeeming all all things. And so what do we mean by that? Let me clarify that we're not at all saying that that's universalism, that everyone will be saved. You have to believe upon Jesus. Uh, This is clear scripturally that it's only through faith in Christ by his grace alone and his work on our behalf that we uh, live eternally with God in the new heavens and the new earth. And so when we talk about all things, we're simply saying this. We're saying that God is not just redeeming us. He's not just redeeming man and woman and our souls, but he's redeeming the created world as well, meaning that, as Romans 8 says, that it helps us understand that creation, when we fell dead in the garden through Adam and Eve, that creation itself was subjected to sin and was marred by sin and fell. And so what God is doing, this redemptive work that he is doing, is he's redeeming his creation back into himself. And so uh, let me make this clear as well. We are not saying that things and places take precedence over people. God's redemptive work work comes first and foremost to us, to man, to mankind. We are his crowning uh, creation, the crown jewel of his creation. We are the ones of all things created. We are the ones that were created in his image. And so his redemptive work comes first and foremost to us and then through us to the places where we live through us to bring redemption and renewal to the things that are broken around us, to the cultures and the systems and the, and the relationships and all the different things that God is in the process of redeeming, it comes through us. And so when we say that God's redeeming all things, we just simply mean that God is redeeming his creation in addition to his people. And this earth will be renewed as the new heavens and the new earth, and that is a physical reality that this ball, this earth, will be here. It will be made new. And, and we don't know how that's going to happen. I don't pretend to be up here and say it's going to happen this specific way. But we know that God is making a new heavens and a new earth. He will do that when, when Christ comes again. 
It's kind of like Christ when he resurrected from the grave. He was resurrected in a physical body, and it was his body, and he was recognizable, and his disciples recognized him as Jesus. But yet, even though it was the same body, even though it was a physical body, it was very different. It was a glorified, different body where he appeared in the upper room and when the doors were locked. And so there was, there was, a, there was this great attribute of his newness as a resurrected Savior that we will carry with us both in the body, but then also that this world will be renewed in a way that's the same yet different. One last thought is this. When we speak of encouraging you to love your city, I hope it goes without saying, but I just want to say it just to clarify. We are not saying, hey, love every aspect of where you live, meaning we're not saying love the the evil realities of where you live, the gross, broken parts of where you live. We're saying love your city the way that Christ has loved you. Love your place and the people in that place the way that Christ has loved you. He doesn't look at the nasty, broken, sinful parts of who you are and say, man, I love that. No, he says, I want to make that new. I want to change that. So when he enters into us in a a renewing way, and we're saying move into your place with the grace, with the power, with the transformational power of the gospel and bring renewal and redemption. Uh, To sum up last week, the emphasis of this series is is asking this question. How are you going to be an agent of redemption in the place where God has placed you, where he's put you? It's it's that simple. How are you going to be God's agent of redemption in the place that he has put you? That's where we're headed. That's what this series is all about. And so as we move into this week, we want to think specifically about what that looks like in the context of community So let's pray. Let's pray to that end. Let's pray for God to bless our time together. Father, thanks for this this awesome opportunity and privilege that we have each week to come before you, to open your word, to believe and know and trust that you are with us, that your Holy Spirit is in us, in this room, giving us wisdom and insight, opening our eyes to see and our ears to perceive and understand the truth of your word, the beauty of who you are. Father, I pray that as we come before you this morning, that you would do your work in us, that you'd give us insight and understanding, but that it wouldn't end there, that because we have insight and understanding, that your spirit would do a work in us, that we would be changed, and that we would move out into our places, ready to be used by you, to do your redemptive work, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The New York Times read an article about a year ago, probably a little over a year ago. They ran an article about a 23-year-old Sunday school teacher and a babysitter. Her name was Alex. It was on December 28, 2014, that she decided to announce on Twitter that she was renouncing her Christian faith and embracing Islam. For four months, Alex had been talking online with a a London-based Muslim, a man who slowly but surely convinced her not only of the merits of Islam, but of the righteousness of the cause of ISIS. He sent her gifts and books and chocolates and gift cards and clothing. He sent her videos instructing her what to wear. He convinced her that Jesus was only a prophet, not the Son of God. 
He promised her a plane ticket to the Middle East and a Muslim husband and a fresh life and living in this wonderful, as he said it, Islamic state. All of this came to a halt only when her grandmother, whom she lived with, her grandfather and grandmother, started picking up on some cues and she figured out what was going on and put it to a stop. She was planning to move over there and take life residence in the Middle East. Here's what struck me about the story. It was when they asked her why she was enticed, why it was that she would say yes to renouncing her faith, leaving her family, and going and living in this Islamic state. This is what she said, quote, I was lonely. My grandparents enjoyed living in the middle of nowhere. I enjoy community. I get lonely here. It was that simple. That was her answer. She, she was so desperate for community, to be known by others, to be embraced by others, to belong somewhere, to be in a deep relationship with others to where she feels like she has friends and is known and is accepted. She was so desperate for that that she was willing to leave everything and give herself to something that we would look at and say this is clearly inherently evil. But it promised to her, at least on the surface level, it promised to her community. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that I would seriously doubt any of us in this room have longed for community to the extent that we would do something like she was just willing to do. But we all long for that. We long for this authentic, genuine community to be around us. And here's the reality for us in our cities as we think about place and where we are and we think about uh, just this context that we're in here in Atlanta and the suburbs of Atlanta. Here's the reality. We are constantly surrounded by people. And so a, a lack of people is not the problem. People are all around us. We can't get away from people here. But there is a severe lack of community. People and a plethora of people does not equate to community. And so what can become crippling for us, devastating for us, depressing for us, discouraging for us is that we can be surrounded by so many people even inside our own church and walk past hundreds if not thousands of people on Sunday morning and never be known and never feel like I'm a part of community. And then we say, as this 23-year-old young lady said, I'm lonely. I'm lonely. We long for community, and the community that we need, the community that we hunger for, the community that our world craves, and the people that live around you and you, that we crave together, can only be found in the community that Jesus offers. Do you believe that? We're going to see it in Scripture. Turn with me to Acts 2. Acts chapter 2, we're going to read a common passage of Scripture, but really try to enter into it well, break it down to look at what is going on in this passage as it relates to what God was establishing in the early church and the type of community that they had. Acts 2, 42 through 47 says this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is the, the, the early church, the, the ones who have believed that on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, Peter has just prayed, I mean, I'm sorry, has just preached 3,000 were added to, to the believers that day. It says, and they, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread 
and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I want to give you four things this morning. You'll see it in your outline. Four things to observe this morning. But before we jump into that, I want to just highlight one quick thing. And, and this, is, this is certainly pertaining to the message today, but just a little bit of a standalone thought. And that's this. In verse 43, it's, it's, there's this short little phrase that struck me. And it strikes me every time I read this. And it says, it says this, and awe came upon every soul. When was the last time you thought about God and his church and the work of God in the context of his people and had awe? I think one of the great struggles of being in a somewhat what used to be a very Christian environment in the South, but even still a somewhat Christian culture, a, a subculture, if you will, of Christianity in the deep South of America is that we become so common, if you will. Christianity becomes so common to us. We become so familiar with this, with what we get to do here, with this relationship that we get to have with Jesus. If you're a Christian and you believed upon Christ and you have a relationship with the God of the universe, the God who spoke creation into being, as we talked about last week in Genesis 1, who who literally said it and it happened. Think about that. And we get into a routine of coming and sitting and listening and singing. And even when we sing, there's not a whole lot of awe that we get to sing and that the God of the universe hears us. That we get to, in our own homes, in our own closets, in our own beds, on our own floor, we get to get on our knees and we get to pray and have a direct line through the mediator Jesus who's accomplished all and the veil has been torn and there is no hindrance any longer to access to God. And, if, and Hebrews 4 tells us that we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way that we have yet was without sin, so therefore we can approach the throne of grace with boldness knowing that we will receive mercy in our time of need. This is the kind of access that we have to this God. And oftentimes, don't hear condemnation, hear challenge, hear, is this my heart? Oftentimes, we come in here and we just don't really care. We're not in awe that we get to know this God and be with him. And this Jesus who's redeemed us. And awe came upon every soul. I'm not talking about emotionalism. I'm not talking about let's just get a great bass line going with a loud drum and let's feel really good. I'm talking about focusing our eyes on God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all of their work in our lives and just saying that is amazing. When's the last time you've been there? Let's pray that God would move us to awe of him, to be amazed at who he is. 
Verse 43 says that, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. This was all in the context of community. Together they were seeing these things about God, and then they were being used by God. Take a look at verse Actually, let me, let me take you back to verse 22 and 23 that we didn't read. You'll see it on your screens if you want to turn there in your Bible. Listen to this. It says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with many works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as yourselves, as yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. He says, You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Here's the first point I want you to get as we look at this text together is that this is a community of grace. And you'll see the little subtitle there says in your first point, oh, hearts opened by the gospel. One of the first things that happens when the gospel begins to take roots in our, root in our hearts is that we are exposed. Our hearts are opened and exposed for who we really are. This is, what, this is in the, what I just read to you out of verses 22 and 23 and 36 was part of Peter's sermon at Pentecost. And what he was doing is he was preaching the gospel to them and he was exposing these people to say, look, you're not innocent here. You're not innocent. You crucified this Christ, this one who came on your behalf to take away the sins of the world, the one who God has made Lord and Christ and Savior. You crucified him. And it wasn't just that you cried crucify him verbally. It's that through your sin, you crucified him. And so you and, a, you and I may look at this and go, well, that was true of them. That's not true of me. I wasn't there. I wasn't saying crucify him. It wasn't me who did that, but we do it. We've done it all throughout our lives, and we do it every day when we say, my will be done, not yours. We are just as guilty. The gospel exposes us as guilty through our sin before this God and lays us bare before him to say, yes, we are sinners. But here's the beauty of the community that began to take root in the early church and that exists for believers today, if we will grab hold of it, and it's, it's simply this. This is a community of grace. It's the only community that exists on this earth as we know it now where everyone in it doesn't belong to be there, doesn't deserve to be there. No one deserves to be in this community of grace, this Christ community. None of us submitted an application saying, look how great my works are. Look how good I am. And God said, yeah, you know what, that one's, that one's worthy to be in. He looked at all of us and he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all of us are on the outside apart from the work of Christ and his grace at work within us. None of us paid any dues to belong to the club. None of us paid an HOA due or anything like that. We were in, not by anything that we did, we are brought in and brought near through the blood of Jesus. I heard someone say one time that the best thing that could ever happen to us some of you are going to cringe at what I'm about to say, but the best thing that could ever happen to you, the best thing that can happen to me, is for our sins to be shown on the 5 o'clock news for all to see. Everything. Everything you've ever done, everything you've ever thought, any action you've ever taken, so that God, 
so that what we have done as offense to God and to others would be seen by everyone. Here's why that would be good news. I know, I know if you're like me, you're thinking, how in the world would that be good news? Here's why that would be good news. You would be mortified, you would be embarrassed, but you would be free. You would be free to stop pretending, to stop acting like you have it together, stop walking around and trying to be something that you know deep down that you're not. And then listen to this. You would be free to proclaim with all you have the excellencies and the sufficiencies of Jesus. You have seen on the news, broadcast to all, it's not me. I don't have it together in any shape, form, or fashion. And I am mortified by what you've seen. But now you see the grandeur of my Savior, that he would accept me and that he would love me in light of all that. And not only that, that he would declare me to be righteous and holy in his sight in light of all that. And he is redeeming all that and he is changing all that. And he has made me new and he is making me new. And one day I will be fully new. Praise be to God. Praise be to Jesus, not me. Look at him. And friends, when our community of believers begins to do that well, then the world around us and those of us in here will begin to not look at each other and say, man, how great is he, how great is she, I wish I could be more like her, he has it all together, she has it all together, but we would say together, none of us have it together. Jesus is awesome. I remember preaching that one time and somebody came up to me afterwards and she said, I loved everything you said in your sermon except for the 5 o'clock news part. I just can't job with that. I said, okay, I, th- I get it. But let's work towards that. I'm not going to contact any news anchors anytime soon, but there would be a sense of great freedom with that. No more pretending. Let me tell you how I hid in shame for so long. There was, when I was on staff, with the campus ministry in, in, uh, in Georgia. We actually lived here, over here at, at Athens from 2004 to 2008. I was on a staff team with three other guys, and uh, we, were, we would meet every Thursday morning uh, together just for fellowship and prayer and just to encourage and sharpen one another as brothers. This particular morning, I, for whatever reason, the Lord really just began to just press on me in ways that I knew he was saying, Jeff, you need to share that and what that that was was something that had happened in my past that I had never shared with anybody. I would have been mortified if you would have told me back then that I would stand on the stage today and even refer to this story. I would say, "You're crazy. You're out of mind." But I, I, I was so deeply shamed that the enemy had worked so much in me to shame me and say that if you ever told anyone about that, then they will laugh at you. You will be outcast. No one will know how to deal with you. And he convinced me of all these things that, that I fully believe that if I ever said this, if I ever told anyone that, it would be, it would be horrible. This particular morning, it was, it was one of those things that welled up within me to where I, it was like Jeremiah when he says it was like a fire shut up in my bones. I could not hold it in. Indeed, I could not. I began to, to say, guys, i got to talk to you about something. There's something that's been just hidden deep in me for so long, and I, I need to tell you. And so I'd... I eventually told this story, and I was bracing for the condemnation and for the, the, oh, my goodness, brother, we'll pray for you response. What I got instead was all three men leaned in, put their arms around me, and said, 
I have an almost identical story. Let me share with you my story. And he shared his. And he shared his. And he shared his. And I cried. Because I entered into a community of grace in that moment that I didn't think was available. That I had been convinced in my mind and in my heart that if I let it out, I would be outcast. And instead, I let it out. And by the grace of God and the grace of his people around me, I was brought near. You see, the world, being known in the world standards, being fully known and fully exposed in the world standards is a terrifying theme because most of the time in the world, we're rejected and isolated, ostracized and condemned when we let out those things. But in the community of grace, opened by the gospel of grace, we enter into a community where we're not condemned and ostracized, but we are brought near And God does his redemptive work through his people in our lives. It's called community. I'm not talking about that we accept each other and say, you know, oh, it's great. No worries about if you got something going on in your life, say, oh, no, no, no worries. Just come in. You're accepted. No, there's, if if we love each other well, then we say, let's work through that. There could be some things there that that carry with it some, some significant consequences that you're going to have to walk through if you let that out, but it's always going to be for your good and your people around you that you know love you to walk through that with you. What if we lived out this type of community, this vulnerable, honest, real, authentic community in here and out there? Wouldn't that be powerful? Second thing I want you to notice First, we talked about a community of grace. Secondly, a community of hospitality. Homes opened by the gospel. Look at verse 46. It says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Listen, the mission of this new community of grace does not begin inside the church. This mission, this new community of grace and their mission, rather it, It begins most often, if not always, inside the open doors of your home. Yes, we want to bring people here, and we want to say, hey, come experience what I'm experiencing here. But but I, I think what God intended for us to live out, as we see in Scripture over and over again, is that we would bring people first into our lives where we live, where they are in our place. It's commentators believe that when it talks about breaking bread here, that it's, it's referring to the Lord's Supper. It is talking about taking communion together, but, it's, but almost all commentators agree that it's also this meal that surrounds that, this opening of homes and saying, let's, let's eat together, let's share together, let's break bread together, and let's do life together. The power of opening your doors to people and anyone who would come, is, is, it's tremendous. In the same way that Jesus has flung open the doors wide by his grace to say, come in, come, all who are weary and heavy laden, and come unto me and I will give you life. We too, in response to Jesus and carrying his spirit with us, we too are to fling open wide the doors of our homes and to say, come, neighbors, friends, co-workers, poor and needy, homeless, come. This is what we're called to be. This is the type of community that we're to be. 
If it's not your home, don't be so, uh, don't be narrow-minded and say, well, I don't know, I don't know that I can do that in my home. Then just coffee shop, meet someone for a meal. Let's begin to do life with people around a meal. Where do we get that from, by the way? This is what Jesus did. Listen to this. This this was mind-blowing to me. I don't know why I never picked up on this, but in, in his book, A Meal with Jesus, Tim Chester highlights how often Jesus pursued people around a meal in the book of Luke. Just listen to this. It won't be on the screen, but just, it's, it's fascinating. In Luke 5, Jesus eats with tax, tax collectors and sinners at the home of Levi. Jesus, in Luke 7, Jesus is anointed at the home of Simon the Pharisee while taking part in a meal. In Luke 9, Jesus eats with the 5,000 after doing his miracle of providing them with, with uh, fish and bread. Luke 10, Jesus eats in the home of Mary and Martha. Luke 11, Jesus condemns the Pharisees and the teachers of the law at a meal. Luke 14, Jesus is at a meal when he urges people to invite the poor to their meals rather than their friends. Luke 19, Jesus invites himself to dinner with Zacchaeus. Maybe we just start doing that. We just say, hey, I'm coming to your house. I'm coming to eat with you. Luke 22, Jesus is with his disciples at the Last Supper around a meal. Luke 24, Jesus eats a meal with two disciples in Emmaus and then later eats, in his resurrected form, he eats fish with the disciples in Jerusalem. He ate so much in Luke. He was in meals with people so much in Luke that Robert Karras comments, in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. Tim Chester says this, when you combine a passion for Jesus with shared meals, you create potent gospel opportunities. Something as simple as sharing a meal with someone who needs Jesus, something that simple can be powerful in saying, I'm with you. I want you to be a part of my life. I want to be a part of your life. As we eat together, let's talk. Third thing that we see in this passage, a community of joyous generosity, pantries and pocketbooks opened by the gospel. Look at verse, let's look at verses 44 through 46, hitting on verse 46 again. It says this, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing their proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, as we just read. This is a community that didn't just understand and embrace the gospel of grace for themselves, but they understood and embraced the gospel of grace towards others. This is not communism. This is not socialism where they say, look, let's just pool all our stuff together and let's own nothing. The the language here seems to indicate that they continued to give, meaning that they continued to have possessions But as they had, they gave. As they had, they gave. And they became a river, a funnel through which God blessed others. These are the type of people who are constantly asking the question, Lord, how can we leverage what you have so freely given to us for the good of your people and the expansion of your kingdom? These are the people that recognize someone in their community around them, in this church or outside of this church, who have needs of transportation and just say, you know what, God has given me means to bless this person with a car, with a bike, with something to be able to get to where they need to get for work. This is the type of people who recognize that there's a single parent in their neighborhood who has a really difficult time 
being able to work the job that they have and also raise a family as a single parent, raise children. And so they move into that to say, could I, could I pay for your child care? Your kids can come and stay at my house in the afternoons. Whatever it may be, we see the needs around us. We take note of the image bearers around us, those who are made in the image of Christ who have worth and value. And we're not so narrow-minded on our schedules of what I've got to get done today that we're unaware of what's going on around us. So much of being missional in the world around us starts with being aware. Oftentimes, not purposefully, not because we mean to, but oftentimes we're just simply unaware. We don't take note. We're not observant. And when we're not observant and we don't take note, then we don't move in to those needs. John Stott says this, and this is stinging, but I think it needs to be heard. He says that we have hundreds of thousands of destitute brothers and sisters is a standing rebuke to us who are more affluent. It is part of the responsibility of spirit-filled believers to alleviate need and abolish destitution in the new community of Jesus. The non-believing culture should never outpace the community of Jesus and his church in meeting the needs of those around us. Sadly, oftentimes it does. How are we going to be a community of joyous generosity as we bless those around us? Lastly, a community of praise and proclamation. A city blessed by the gospel. Look at verse 47. It says, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let me give you one more stock quote. I don't think it'll be on your screen, but he simply says this. The Holy Spirit is a missionary spirit. Therefore, a spirit-filled church is a missionary church. The Holy Spirit is a missionary spirit. Therefore, a spirit-filled church is a missionary church. Please don't hear me saying this. Please don't hear me saying that we love people well around us. We invite them into our homes. We bless those by helping those who are needy around us, whether that means financially or just helping in any way that we possibly can, moving into their lives without sharing the gospel with them. There's indication here that what was happening in the context of these young new believers, this new church, this early church, what was happening is that they were bringing people into their homes. They were gossiping the gospel, right? I love that term. Gossiping the gospel. We are a people who naturally love to gossip. What are we going to gossip about? What are we going to talk about? As we are doing life with people, we're naturally talking about the excellencies, the sufficiencies, the goodness, the satisfying nature of our Savior. It's like we were talking about earlier. And all came upon every soul. And as we are in awe of God, we naturally talk about him with others. If we only serve people by helping meet their needs and we bring them into our homes and we have great meals and fellowship with them, but we are not ultimately pointing them to Jesus and sharing with them the good news, then we are being an incomplete community. We have to move into their lives in such a way that where we are ultimately taking them is to the feet of Christ. And we do that lovingly and patiently, but we do that in a spirit-filled way that is effective. Let me wrap up with a couple of thoughts. First is this. Some of you may get tired of every single week at the very end of the service 
We say the same thing every time. If you want to get connected to this church, if you want to be plugged in and experience community, please check out our connect groups. Some of you may go, man, okay, I get it. Stop telling me about connect groups. But we, we say that every week because we really believe in this community stuff. We really be, believe that oftentimes it's in the context of community that God does his transforming work in the most powerful ways as we do life together. And so we have 93 connect groups that we offer in this church in 13 different cities around this area. And so we are pretty confident in saying that if you are not a part of a connect group, and what a connect group is, is just a group of people who are wanting to live this out, who want to have meals together, connect with one another, share life with one another, and then be outward facing, not ingrown, but outward facing to the world around and say, hey, hey, this is a pretty incredible community that we got going here in this area where we live. And so would you come in? Would you want to be a part of this? Let me tell you, friends, when the world sees this type of community lived out, look what happens. It's in the scriptures, and they had favor with all people. And day by day, God was adding to their number those who were being saved. This is an attractional community. doesn't mean that everybody that comes into it is going to say, yes. I want to be a part of this, but it just means that there is intrigue and there's curiosity, and so that we are not ingrown, we're outward facing. And that's what our connect groups are, is they're a group of people doing life together, facing outward, inviting more and more in. We offer discipleship groups, journey groups, where we want people to come in and dig deep with one another and experience the depths of what Christian community looks like, and you can enroll in those in the fall. Every, every August, we have open enrollment for those. But this is a church we believe deeply and what I'm preaching here, that Christ would transform us in the context of community. Last thought, something that strikes me about Jesus as we think about place and where you do life. Luke 19.41 says this. says that as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. Short little verse, but really, really powerful. It reminds me of Matthew 14, 14, where it says that when he came ashore, he saw a crowd of people, a great crowd of people, and he had compassion on them. He says he healed their sick, and he saw them as, a, as sheep without a shepherd, lost. But that verse that we just saw, that he saw Jerusalem, he saw the city, and he wept over it. This is what is pretty significant about that. First, Jesus looked at Jerusalem, and he loved that place. Now, here's what's profound. He's weeping over a city who in just a matter of days is going to be crying in chorus together for his crucifixion. He's loving a place that will not love him back. So you need to know that as we move into the places around us and as we do that together as a community of believers and we move to those who don't know Jesus we will be rejected. Not everyone will say that is the most awesome thing I've ever seen. We are called to love a people that may not necessarily love us back. We are called to love a place that may not necessarily love us back. But it doesn't mean that we let that deter us in any way from the mission that God has given us. We follow in the footsteps of our Savior. And we look upon Duluth. And we look upon John's Creek. And we look upon Norcross and Peachtree Corners and Swanee and Alpharetta, and Roswell, and Buford, and Sugar Hill, we look upon these places, and we weep because we so desperately want God to use us to change that place.
Amen? Let's pray to that end. Father, we thank you for this time together this morning. We thank you that you are doing a great work in our cities through your people. But there is so much more to be done. There is so much more to be done. But we believe that it will happen and that you will use us. Give us strength. Give us faith. Give us power through your Holy Spirit to be the missional community of God that you have created us to be. That we, understanding and embracing and experiencing the gospel of grace, would be agents of your grace into the places that we go and where you've put us. You are awesome. We want to be in awe of you this morning, and not just this morning, but every day of our lives. Be praised, Lord, as we continue to sing now. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day. Thank you.